Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Daf HaShavua. As we continue Meseches Yuvamos here in the fourth parak. what an amazing parak on Daf Lamed Zion. The first part of this year, I want to go back to something that we discussed uh, previously, which continues on our Daf, and just jump into some Halacha Lamasa and the issue of Hafchana. We've been discussing uh, two situations where a person is not allowed to get remarried. A woman, if she's an almana, she's lost her husband, or she's a grusha, a divorcee, she can't get remarried. She has to wait generally 90 days so that we could know who the father was. In a situation where she was nursing or pregnant, then we see the 24 months, which I'm not going to spend a lot of time on today. It is a very fascinating uh, topic, you could imagine, the situation of a woman waiting so long. In fact, just to slip in one piece of information, the Shailas Yeshuvah's Harash in Klal Nun Gimel Simon Aleph refers to such a woman as an aguna, even though the halach in this situation is imposing this status. It's not a literal aguna, but I just wanted to give you the Lashon about a question that came to the Rush. The rush is saying that we're trying, and I'm applying this especially in the 24-month situation, if we could reduce the waiting period. Now, what you end up seeing in halacha, and this brings us back even to the 90-day period, in a situation of an amana or a grusha where there is no pregnancy and there's no uh, nursing taking place. This is stated in Shulchan Aruch Evan Ezra, Hilchas Isha Simon Yud Gimel Sif Aleph. It's a very important sif. And within this sif, you do see somewhat of a compromise, which is called Shiduchen, that this would be allowed. This brings us back to something that we discussed earlier. Just let's do a little Chazara. Before Matan Torah, there was only Nisuin. With Matan Torah came Kiddushin. And remember we had the position of Rav. Rav said that Kiddushin is not enough. We need the couple to get to know each other. This comes up on our daf as well. Hopefully we'll get to discuss this at the end of the year. So there is some formal shiduchin. We discussed with shiduchin there could even be some economic factors to it. People today have tenayim, which is a form of shiduchin. This is allowed. So while kiddushin is not allowed, even though they're not going to be together, that only takes place with nisuin. But if you look into the shulchan aruch, shiduchin is allowed. So there is already some type of connection between this woman who's lost her husband, who's uh, been divorced, and the possibility of having a new connection with a person. Now, it's important, obviously, that the people get to know each other. We also have to make sure, and this goes back to something that we discussed earlier, this cannot be a relationship that pre-existed, especially if there was actually uh, intimacy, because then you have asalabalva, asalabal. These issues come up, bottom line, halacha So this is found in the Shulchan Aruch, Yud Gimel Aleph. Now, our Gemara on the top 
introduces the possibility of what happens if the person goes ahead and does have Kiddushin. Remember, we said lo plug when it comes to Havchana, no Nesuin and no Kiddushin. So the Gemara comes up with a solution that is brought down, lahalacha ubarach, the guy could go away. It's an interesting question. The Torah discusses how far should he go away. The Torah brings down the Shita from Yuchiel ben Yosef that he should be away for three months or a distance. It would take three months, I guess, going and coming back. That's how far the person has to be away. But that's not the ideal. The ideal is low plug and Kiddushin shouldn't take place. Now, the Gemara here also talks about the possible kanas that is put on a person called nidoy. We see here one of the forms of nidoy. We discussed this when we went back into Gemara Chagiga, different forms of excommunication going against a gezerah of the Chachamim. So Lomaisa today, you know, the way this generally comes up is, first of all, you have to deal with a psychological fact as well. I mean, this is where a rabbi gets involved and families get involved. Rachman after someone suffers a loss, they're not ready to get remarried. You know, uh, you see sometimes right after a shiva, right after a shloshim, you already have uh, shachanim getting involved. They mean it well, but they should back off. And even with a divorce, there needs to be some time, period. You see in the Shulchan Aruch, Evan Ezer, Ishus Gimel Aleph, later on in the Sam Sif, we paskin is from the time of the giving of the get. And this again is going to be very important, Lahalacha, because it could be a situation, as very often happens today, that the couple hasn't been living together for a while. They may have had a halachic uh, get take place even after a civil divorce. Generally, that's not the way things work because a get takes place. It's much easier to get a get than a civil divorce. But assuming that even if the civil divorce took place earlier, the couple hasn't been living together, they went through a period of separation, it's clear from the halacha here that it's not from the zman separation. It's from the zman of the giving of the get that that couple, the new couple, would not be allowed to get married for three months. Again, in a nursing pregnancy case, we have a 24-month period, and then you have to see if there are any exceptions to those rules. Remember, we discussed the issue of a pregnancy test. The general assumption we make is the pregnancy test would work in a gayer situation, but not in these other situations of issues. We have a very fascinating uh, situation going on now with Gemara. Let me give a little background. You know, in the book of Ezra, when Ezra comes to Eretz Yisrael, this is the beginning of the second base Hamikdash period. Ezra sees a lot of problems, problems that we today are very well aware of, intermarriage within the Jewish community. But Ezra also, based on this and some other factors, was not willing to accept the status quo. And there were also questions about the lineage of Jews that had come from other countries, including Bavel. Compounding all of this questionable status of where people come from, we know that at the time of the first base on Migdash, right, 10 of the tribes were sent away. So this is a very common question today. How do I know what tribe I come from? Is a Kohen and a Levi, are Kohanim and Leviim truly Kohanim and Leviim? How do we prove such facts? I've had to deal with situations before 
where a Kohen wants to marry a divorcee, is that Kohen actually a Kohen? Rabbi Soloveitchik said, go to the cemetery. If you see that the hands are on the matseva, then there's no question that's a Kohen. For example, in a situation where you can't establish it from generation to generation. So the Gemara over here is talking about issues of yichus. These are what we're trying to establish, objective facts, if not facts that come either from a vadai or from a suffolk. It's not the way yichus is typically used today. Today, typically yichus is, does the person come from an elite type of family? That's not what's being discussed. We need to establish the, the lineage in order to be able to allow certain marriages to take place. And then you have not just the historical fact, but you have situations where Mamzerus, for example, to no fault of a child being born, a child could be a Mamzer or Mamzerus. That's not their own fault, but halachically, right, unfortunately, they're stuck with certain exceptions of how they're still able to marry within their status. So that's a little bit of the framework of what's happening over here. And one of the most basic things that a Masada Kedushin has to do, because this is when a lot of these issues come up, it's not going to be a question of getting into yeshiva, but when it comes to marriage, we have to know the status of the chasun and the status of the kala. It's worth establishing these things way earlier. We're not going to have the same documentation necessarily that Ezra had, but as much as possible is important before a couple falls in love with each other. And then tragically, they have to separate because there's some of these situations you can't get out of. Now, the Gemara here discusses two other categories of individuals that perhaps we're less less, uh, familiar with. One is a shtuki and one is an asufi. We're not going to go through all the halachos, but just to understand the terminology. If you look at Rashi, and this Rashi is quoted all over the place. A shtuki is a situation where we know the identity of the mother, but the child does not know the identity of his father. The mother generally does know it. And in fact, if you look at Rashi, Rashi says a shtuki is like lishtok, uh, means one who is silenced. Rashi explains that this name is given because the child will call out for his father. We want to know who the mother and the father is. We've already established this earlier. And a kid is going to naturally want to know who his parents are. And his mother will silence him. That's where Stuki comes up. You know, it's interesting because today the general assumption is with an adopted child, we're going to inform him or her of the identity of their biological parents. For many, I, I had friends who didn't necessarily have this information. The Gemara is already assuming it's natural that there should be that connection. So that's the shtuki. But I wanted to spend a couple of minutes, especially because we're, we're in these parshios of Shemos when I'm recording this year, right before Pasha's Peshalach, Tavshin Pe'alaph, of Asufi. What does an Asufi mean? So if you look at Rashi, Rashi says this child is Shenesaf Minashuk. It's a child who's gathered from the Shuk. And we're going to have to assume, whether it's a vadai or out of Sveikos, that this child is a mamzer. And that's why the child was put into the shuk, because of some type of stigma that would have been associated with the parents. You see the selfishness in this situation of the parents. They're not even willing to take care of the child. 
Shenesaf minashuka v'chul ikol amecha shema mipasol mipsol nesabra. Maybe her pregnancy she conceived out of a uh, prohibition. Now the reason I'm spending some extra time on Asufi during uh, these parshios is because of an incredible Sephorno. The Sephorno in Parsha Shemos, Perik Bey's Pasuk Dalit, and hey, makes the comment. We know that unfortunately, Amram and Yocheved put Moshe, had to put Moshe out to save his life out into the water. And Miriam stood there, what was her concern? Obviously, besides the kid drowning or being picked up by someone, it seems like the culture of that time was to have asufim, where you had many such children that were abandoned, not Jewish children who were put there with love and care and concern, hoping that a miracle would take place or someone would have rachmanis like Batsha did. But this is what happened. Why? So the, the Sephorno brings a, a pasuk from Yechezkel. Yechezkel chaf gimochaf, look inside, because Yechezkel speaks about the sexual licentiousness in Egypt that would make such incidents nothing out of the ordinary. Most of the children that were put into the water were not Jewish children, but this was a common thing where people would abandon their children. And this was common because Mitzrayim was filled. So they didn't kill the babies, but they just let them, uh, whatever randomly would take place to it. It's incredible. Now, what the Sephorno reinforces, and you find this actually in Midrashim, is Batya was the, an activist against this. It wasn't just that she happened to one day find Moshe. If you read the Sephorno, and I have others to support such a view, including the Avram ben Arambam, Batya, even though she grew up in the same home as Paro, she led her in a different direction, and she chose to save such people. But this is where the term Asufi is. Now, I just want to show you how this plays out. We'll call it Halacha Lamasa. Hopefully, it shouldn't be so Lamasa. Is the Rambam and Isurabiya Tesvav Chafalaf. The Rambam and Isurabiya Tesvav Chafalaf says, you know, you have different types of parents. You have certain parents who. They unfortunately, one of the the woman, let's say, she had a, an affair. She gets pregnant. She wants to abandon the child. And she just kind of leaves the child randomly. That's an Asufi. But then you have good parents. They have Rachmanis for a child. Maybe they can't afford to take care of the child. Or maybe they're dealing with such other issues. So this child would not be considered to be an Asufi. And there wouldn't be a Mamzeris question. Now, how do you know? When you find a baby, imagine such a situation, how do you know? So the Rambam says, if the child was found with a bris and was well bundled, and they would put some kind of blue-eye paint to the eyes and showed other forms of identity as a Jewish child, and it was protected from wild animals, or it was found in a shul near the public domain, or at the side of the public domain, the Rambam says the laws pertaining to Asufis don't apply, since the parents are protecting the child. So not all Asufis are actual Asufis. But listen to the end of the halacha. It's such a shocking halacha. If someone's just going on a hike and they find a baby 
in a basket, totally abandoned, not protected, without a bris. And then he says, the Rambam, Afilotachas Ilan Oba Beis HaKnesis, even if it's in a base Knesses. Now, it's a shocking comment that the Master Rokach, one of the Perushim on the Rambam, says if you put a baby into a Beit Knesset, that must be a sign. It's a Jewish child, and the parents want it to be protected. But the Master Rokach reminds us that shuls back then were out in the wild, or they were out in the fields. They were not inside the city. And there was a concern for Mazikin. There was a concern, let's explain it the way the Rambam does rationally, that people could have come and taken it. So therefore, we're not going to give this child the protection. The halach lamasa of this is the kid that gets older and is saved. Does the kid have the yichus that could be traced as a full-fledged Jew? Okay, I just want to deal with a few things uh, left on the daf. This is really a packed daf. It's very uh, fascinating expression, which I won't have time now to go into details. It relates to ishus. The expression that's used over here is That was in the context of the exception that was made for these Rabbanim that they were allowed to marry even though they already had a wife that was in a different community. This expression is actually found in a medrash relating to this coming week's parsha of Parshas Bishalach, because one of the challenges of Mun even though man seems to be like ice cream, you know, we know Chazal say you could make it taste anything you wanted, but you were not able to save it from one night to the next night, from one day to the next day. The Rav explained this based on Ramban as a total challenge to the capitalist mind that we look at what we have in the bank. And therefore, the expression is used literally, there's a certain insecurity. That's why it's presented in the Torah as a nisayon, because will people have emuna, even if they don't have a guarantee that it's going to come the next day? They have no money in the bank. Now, the way it's used in the context of the Gemara is very different. And except for the rare exception of uh, these chachamim that are being discussed on the second daf, the Rambam brings down Hilchasi Surabiya. Chaf Aleph Chaf Tes Lagisa Adam Isha Bemedina Zu Va Isha Bemedina Acheres because you'll end up a person could be married to two different wives you don't have pictures of the kids the kids are going to end up Chas uh, marrying each other the Rambam builds in an exception if it's an Adam Gadol a well known person now the Pischei Tshuva who often uh, his basic job is to collect responsa very contemporary response of his time and still our time as well, in Evan Ezer Simon Bey's Sif Katan Yud points out something from a historical perspective. Our Gemara is discussing apparently before there was a prohibition of marrying two wives. But now you're only allowed to have marry one wife. So does that mean that if you're divorced or or Shalom, you lose your wife, you can't marry someone from another community? So the Pischei Shuvah assumes no, and uh, he assumes that today there will be recognition because the children follow the surviving parent. Now, that's a lot easier in an Amana situation. It's harder to explain in a Grusha situation. Pischei Shuvah seems to say that in his time, Rov Molech Banev Hakatanim Imo, most of the kids went together 
with the father. But either way, he says at the end, He says at the end of the day, and obviously there's no problem if somebody was married in uh, the United States and gets divorced or loses a spouse, they're allowed to go to Eretz and get remarried, no issue. The other piece that comes up on this daf, and I have a lot more to say about it, is the need to know who you're marrying. Now, you never really know who you're marrying until after you marry them, but to get to know each other. The Rav points out in Reflections of the Rav, the first chalik of Reflections of the Rav, that the reason why the Torah tells us that Yitzchak brought Rivka into the tent of sorrow was not just to tell us how great she was, and that she was able to light up the tent the way Sarah did, but it was a question of getting to know each other. And there is a need to get to know each other before getting married, even before getting engaged. And this brings us full circle to what we discussed in the beginning of the shir with Shiduchin. Now, what the Gemara over here says, which is very important, and this comes up in different places, it's not just a question of for you, it's not just a question of for her, it's really a question of You're not going to treat each other well if you don't have this knowledge of each other in some somewhat, again, it's not full knowledge. And again, if there is a culture that does it that way, then maybe that's accepted. But you have over here the concern of of not treating each other well. The Gaonim and Sechtos Ketanos tell us how many thing, violations a person could be over if marrying the wrong person, especially if you don't put in enough Hishtadlis, from Sinna to Revenge, to lack of Yehavtirecha Kamocha, etc. So much that we accomplished today and a lot more. We look forward to a great week of learning.